Last week, uh, I had this little talk, Choose Life, and it was supposed to be a one-off, but as often happens, I made a passing comment, and it seemed to sort of catch people's, uh, a lot of people said lots of good things, which was very kind of you, but there was one thing that, that just sort of came back to me, and that was, I made a reference to, uh, in the scripture, it talks about us um, being delivered from the world, the devil, and death, and all things of the flesh. And I made this comment last week, and I said that the, the word flesh, there's actually three Greek words, but the most common one is sarx. Sarx. And uh, there's over 150 mentions of, of this word sarx. And it's a difficult one to translate because it, it's one of those words where the English language, which is, which is so rich and complex, actually hasn't quite got the right word for it. It means worldly, it means all those things that tie us, it means you know, the flesh, immorality, it means all of those things, but there's also this other nuance to it. it. There is a sense in which, in some usages in the New Testament, there is this sense in which it is an entity. It has an intentionality. It is like a deity of, of sorts that um, uh, you know, not obviously God, not something to worship, but it is something that is out to get to us or get at us. So, you know, when you fall into sin or when you are tempted, um, there are choices that you make and we make and I make, you know, whether to fall to that temptation or not. But there is also this other element. And the other element is that there is this, this malign force that is out to entice us. There's an intentionality behind it something cognitive. And the question was, well, if that's, if, if that's true of science, is there anything else we need to know about? Is there anything else? And the other thing, of course, and actually this is bigger than Sarks, is mammon. Jesus speaks and teaches about mammon. He, he talks about mammon, and it's all things to do with wealth and money and, and that kind of thing. And there is very definitely and very clearly in the New Testament this sense that mammon is... Cognitive. Mammon is intentional. Mammon is out to get us. And uh, I mean, I mean, uh, to use the word money is a very poor translation. But but Jesus is talking about the deceitfulness of wealth and the deceitfulness of, of money. Whether you have it or you don't have it, you know, we tend to be obsessed by it, and it grips us, and it takes us, and it undermines us, and it. And it confuses us, and it concerns us, and it causes us anxiety, and it, it causes us joy, and it causes us freedom, and it causes us delight, and, it, and it's just something that, that calls us to worship it. And Jesus speaks very emphatically. I'm not going to go over that, those teachings now, perhaps another time. But what is the antidote to this? That's the question. If, if mammon is out to get us, what is the antidote? How can we resist that? Just by saying, no, 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 no. Well, that's not feasible. I mean, we've all got to go and pay our bills and stuff like that. We all need to go, you know, buy new shoes for the kids. You know, we can't just duck out of it. You know, we can't sort of just avoid it. We have to learn to control it. We have to learn how to use it. We have to learn how to be responsible with it. But essentially, the way you break the power of mammon, you know, break its... Its malicious, idolatrous power is through generosity. Mammon does not encourage generosity. It's a very, 
it, 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 it's a me, me, mine type thing. But we can break the power of that through generosity. And when it comes to that, we need to remind ourselves, and it actually flows, I wasn't intending to do this, but it flows quite nicely on from what we've been talking about the last two or three weeks. Because quite simply, you can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Whenever you think you've, you've done something good, or you've given something, or you've done something, or you've earned something, actually God can come back to you and remind, and he does it with gentleness and a winsomeness and something that is tender. But he reminds us that we cannot outgive God. Let's just watch, look at this verse here, John 3.16. It is one of the most well-known verses. Not everyone will know it. It's, doesn't, you know, it's just one of those things. But in the evangelical, Bible-believing Christian church, it's got to be in the top 10 most well-known verses. But John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, this, this really, if, if you want a theology of generosity, begin with this. Begin with this. Five little M's. If you're taking notes, if you're blackberrying it, if you're doing whatever you're doing with it, you know, just take these in. First of all, it's, this whole business of generosity is modeled by God. Modeled by God. It's wonderful. It's modeled by him. It's not demanded of him, it's modeled by him. Secondly, the motivation there is love. He's motivated by love. He loves you. You may not think he does. You may not feel that he does. But he loves you. He loves us. He loves me. He is love. And when he looks upon us, however far away you are from God and, or however close you are from God, as I've said a lot recently, and I've had people emailing me about it, there is nothing more that you can do that will make God love you more. In fact, the truth is, there's nothing less that you can do that will make God love you more. He loves you more. He loves you completely. He loves you utterly. His motivation and his intention towards us is love. So this generosity thing is modeled by God. It's motivated by love. It's manifested in action. That's a good one, you know. We, 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 we sometimes have all the good intentions, I know I do. I, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've said to Fliss things like, oh, I keep meaning to go and see our neighbor Hitesh, his father's just died. You know, I, there's always, I'm always saying, Fliss says the same things to me. You know, we're full of good intentions. I mean, we're nice people, aren't we? We, we, we want to do nice things, and we think of nice things to do, and we keep saying to one another, yeah, I must do that, I must do this, this good thing. Actually, as long as they're just an intention, there's no brownie points. If there were brownie points to be earned, there's no brownie points to be earned. It's just an intention. But God is not just full of good intentions. What he is, what he, his heart, his generosity, his love, is manifest. It's not sort of tucked away in the sanctity of his heart, in the sanctum of his heart. He's, it's, it's manifest, it's love in action, manifested by action. It's measured by its value. You know, God didn't sort of, just sort of throw us a few coins, throw us a bone, as they say. God gave his son. God gave his son, and there was, there was nothing more to give. And that's why the scripture says, if you, if you refuse his son, if you turn away from his son, if you reject his son, end of game. Game over. 
There's nothing more. It's all Jesus or no Jesus. Father God has nothing left because he has given everything. He's given us his one and only son who's died for us. This generosity, as I say, you can't outgive God. It's astounding. He also, and again, I'm not going to go into the, the, the Jesus' teachings on this, but do you remember how he, some of you will know this, he, he commends a little widow woman. It's very interesting. It's a bit disconcerting, actually, but he's, there's a story where Jesus is, is watching people take up the offering or, or give the offering. He's watching what people put in to the plate in the temple. Ooh. And he sees how, the, how, how, come, so, how some come along and they make a bit of a show of, of giving. And then this little widow woman came along and she just put two little coins in. And he got very excited at that point because there was an extraordinary value in what that little woman had put in that thing, that widow woman. It didn't amount to much in terms of the temple coffers, but, but what Jesus said was she gave everything that she had. See, God gave everything that he had. He, there's no holding back in his generosity of love towards you. In the goodness and, and, and his intentions towards you, he, he has nothing else in reserve. There's nothing hidden behind his hand. He's not play, his back. He's not playing games with you. He, he's up front. What you see is what you get. Total love. Total love. There is a value to that. And then it's multiplied by in its impact. And what I mean by that is, in that little verse that we just looked at, I'm just going to have a quick cough here. <coughs> Excuse me. In that uh, verse we saw, it says that now, God so loved the world, and now anyone and everyone who puts their trust, their belief, seeks God's face and forgiveness, gets saved, regardless of their background, their history, their ethnicity, their color, their age, their fatness, their thinness, their whatever, whatever might perceivably get in the way of receiving God's grace. That generosity of God is now rolling on upon generation upon generation, and people are embracing that. So you cannot outgive God, modeled by love, motivated by love, sorry, modeled by God, motivated by love, manifested in action, measured in by its value, and multiplied in its impact. And so I, I guess the question, the second question then is how do we, how, how do we respond, how should we respond to this? Well, I came across this little film clip, and it made me smile. So let's just run the film clip. Thanks, Tim.
anyone recognize that kind of deal? Good. You don't recognize it, that's great. Well done, Steve. Okay, so the question really is, is generosity. I want to respond to God with generosity. I can't pretend that I will ever be as generous with him, but I want to respond with generosity. Let's see what Paul says to the church about this. Um, Turn with me if you have a Bible or a Blackberry or something you're watching it, looking it on. It'll come up on the screens, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll begin with verse 6. Let me just pray. Lord God, in the face of your generosity, we just pray that you would just open our hearts now and help us here. We ask it all in Jesus' name. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be made in every way, so you will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God's generosity, our generosity. So the first thing that we should do when we consider our giving is are we giving generously? Are we giving generously? You know, I did a talk, I think it was in you know, probably October, where I, I spoke about tithing, you know, giving 10% of one's uh, um, uh, income, and Fliss and I do that, and I know many of you do that, and that's been a long-held tradition in, in the church, not just this church. But I, I said, actually, the criteria should be that you give regularly and you give sacrificially. And I love that interpretation because rather like the widow and her two little coins, you know, a rich man's sacrifice is a totally different thing to a widow's sacrifice. You know, we we should, when we give, when we give to God and give to his purposes and give to his kingdom, it, it should cost us. It shouldn't be out of the small change in our pocket. It shouldn't be out of the... The, the little bit left over or the surplus. It should be something that, that expresses something of our love and our compassion and our gratitude. And so generosity is, is to be encouraged. We should give generously. You know, I'm walking up and down on this stage and I'm thanking God because this week we've had the lighting engineers in. And you probably wouldn't notice it unless I point it out to you, but we have a whole new lighting system here. And we've got our new lighting desk, and we've got a whole, we've got 12 LED uh, lights, and although the effect is much the same, actually it's really high tech, it's quite something. And this came about because 
When Fliss and I came back off sabbatical in September, we were faced with three crises. I walked straight into the end of a door, you know what I mean? First of all, we walked into the, 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 the door end that was at the roof, which was only new eight years ago, was falling apart, leaking like a sieve, and it got worse over the summer. Something had to be done, and that was going to cost 30,000 pounds or so. Secondly, we were having power cuts in the place because it turned out that, I don't understand this myself, but we'd had some work done on our main supply here, and now we couldn't handle the amount of power. Then we looked at the amount of power we were using in this place, and it was absolutely outrageous. And so it, it triggered in a desire to, to go greener and to start moving to, to high-efficient lights and all the rest of it. And the biggest culprit, to be honest with you, was this room on a Sunday morning. And we, we had one or two power cuts last year where everything went out. If you remember that, in the springtime of last year. And so we did a lot of research, and, and my son Samuel spent a lot of time talking to companies, and these LED lights, these little blue, and they're currently blue and red, but they'll do all sorts of things, they use a fraction of the power. And so we knew that's what we wanted. The third crisis was that, quite frankly, the general giving in the church had gone down a hole in the ground, and so three horrible crises. And I thought, well, how are we going to deal with this? And I was praying about it, and I felt that I should just go to the leaders and say, look, guys, this isn't much fun, but I, I just want us to try and sort this one out. Let's, try, let's you and I try and sort out the roof and, and the power thing in this place. I don't want to go to the church in general. I've got to go to the church in general about the giving. And so the leaders, bless their hearts, came up with what amounted to be 58,000 pounds. These are the leaders. See, love, you know... It, Generosity is modeled by God, and I thank God that I work with there's about 100 leaders in this church of various things, and, and the generosity has been modeled already by the leaders in this church, and they all chipped in, and they all worked hard, and they made sacrifices, and they, without any fuss, hullabaloo, public appeals, thermometers on the wall, or bring and buy sales, they came up with 58,000 pounds that sorted out the roof bingo, and sorted out not just this rig and desk, but there's work going on, new heating going in in the rooms. It was just an outstanding example of modeling generosity. And I thank God that, that our leaders in this church know that. They're first into the breach. They're not hanging back, but they have given and they've done this. And so I, let's applaud them. I applaud them. Thank you. Thank you, guys, wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you. The second thing, three little principles. First, generously. We should give generously, whatever that means to you. Secondly, we should give willingly. And Paul says, give willingly, not reluctantly. God loves a cheerful giver. Give willingly. And this is, this is a challenge, particularly when we're hard-pressed. But you know, the truth of the matter is, no matter where your budget is, whether it's a high budget or a low budget, you will give willingly to the things that's closest to your heart. You will always find the money for the, for the thing that really matters to you. And if it's a, a grind, and if it's a trudge, and if it's a, something you don't actually do, if giving to the church, to God's kingdom, is something that is a, sticks in your craw a bit, you need to ask yourself, why is that? Because if it was close to your heart, if Christ was close to your heart, then it would not be that way. There are many struggles with this, and as a pastor of some 30 years, I have to say, you know, I, I, I've heard and seen it all. I had a, a situation earlier on this year which was, which was heartrending. 
couple in the church came to me. Uh, I'll call them Michael and Sophie. That's not their names, of course. Of course. And there was a rift. There was a bit of tension between them because it had turned out that even though Sophie believed that they were tithing, in fact, Michael had been lying to Sophie for three years. And they hadn't been tithing. Anyway, I don't tell you how it came out, but it came out. And Sophie was absolutely incandescent. Michael wasn't all that happy either. And Michael came to me, and uh, he was absolutely under deep conviction because he'd been telling his wife that they'd been tithing and they hadn't been tithing. And uh, he was under deep conviction. He was weeping in my office, and I thought I knew what I was going to be saying to him. But in fact, I, I ended up just comforting and affirming him and praying because I realized I didn't have to say anything because God was on his case. But one of the things that was extraordinary that he said to me, and I, he said to me, you know, he said, I, I'm not trying to justify it, Chris, but, you know, I, I look at the church and all the resources we have here, and I thought, you know, my tithe was, what, two and a half thousand a year. What, what, what difference is that going to make? You know, I, I know it's wrong to think like that, but that's what I was thinking. I don't think it now, but that I, what, what difference is my annual tithe of around two and a half thousand going to make? What, what difference is that? Well, I didn't tell him, because he was already sobbing in my office. But Julian, our business manager, two days previously had come in to me with what we call a management report. It's not the audited report, reports on the previous year. And she knew I wasn't going to like what she had to tell me, but she told me, according to the management report, this is the, the roughest, readiest things. She said, Chris, I'm sorry to tell you, we're about 2,800 pounds in deficit on last year. And she knew I'd been upset because I said to the directors, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, guys, but I promise you that by Christmas, I've got rid of the deficit. I don't know. I'm going to manage and work on that. You know, here's the roof. The ladies have done that. Here's the lighting, but I'm going to... I'm going to I, I, you know, insofar as I can promise, I'm going to promise you that we get rid of the deficit. So I've gutted. Now, I, you know, so Michael says to me, I haven't been given my tithe, it was two and a half thousand. Matt, Jill comes in and says we were two and a half, 2,800 short in last year. You know, the truth of the matter is that 2,500 being gifted, we've been in surplus. You see, everything matters. Paul teaches this, you know, we are a body. You know, I, you know, I tell you, most of me is in the prime of life. <laughs> Most of me. My eyes are good, my hairs are good, hair, my, my eyes are good, my teeth are good. But my chest isn't so good at the moment. And that has made all of me feel a bit rubbish this week. I've had to take time off work, which I don't like doing. All because of this little thing going on in my chest, which is on its way out. It's an irritation, but it is something that Tripped me up. You see, when you give to God's kingdom, when you give to the church, you may think that your two mites or two shekels or two whatever, your two and a half thousand doesn't matter because, hey, this is St. Alban's Vineyard, you know. The reality is it doesn't work like that. There is something else going on here. We are a body and, we, and everything we have, you know, everything we have affects us. You know, I'm... I'm rejoicing with Richard and Tara Gathard, our, our lovely assistant pastor, one of our lovely assistant pastors. They, their little daughter, Bella, was born yesterday. Seven pounds, five ounces. I'm thrilled about that. But I'm, I'm grieving about 
Emma's father. I'm grieving about Celeste's mother. I'm grieving, I'm not about the sickness that some of you are carrying. Uh, it, I feel it all. We feel it all. This isn't just some community club, guys. It matters. It's not good enough that some are generous and some aren't. We must all be generous because it matters. The third thing is that we should do it thankfully. When we give, uh, okay, well, that's fine, present Thanksgiving. Give thankfully. When we give, we should do it mindful. When we give regularly, sacrificially, generously, willingly, we should do it thankfully, mindful. I'm going to have another little cough here, excuse me. Mindful of God's generosity for us. Our, our giving is a response to his loving. It's how we, we show, we manifest in action our appreciation. And what's lovely about this passage that I read out is that actually there are levels of praise and thanksgiving that come out of this. We should be thankful, but what it says, as we do that, so the effect of it, of our generosity, is multiplied. And so people are thankful for the generosity that you show. People are grateful for that. You know, we keep banging on about the feed ministry just because it's hard not to bang on about the feed ministry, the number of people that are coming to it now. But it's not the only ministry that we do out there. But it's all funded and enabled by your sacrificial giving. And time, energy, and money. We couldn't do it without that. So what happens is we give to God, we give to the kingdom, we give to the church... The church uses it to, 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 make, to, to give away, and the church uses it to build the kingdom, to, to welcome people into this place, and thanksgiving, praise and thanksgiving rises up. I love the way how Paul warms to this theme, and I do encourage you to read over this again when you get home, but, but he, he kind of finishes off verse 15 by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. In the light of all of this, Paul is still wowed by the generosity, the, the sacrifice in God's own giving. So folks, as we, as we consider our budgets, as we consider this place and our place in this place and our commitment to this place, well then let's just begin by remembering God's, God's love to us. His indescribable gift in giving us his son. Let's examine our hearts. Is it a drudge giving to God when he's given us so much? Please, God, no. Please, God, no. Let's have the worship team up and I'm going to pray. Why don't we all stand? Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you to you because uh, as, as I said at the end of the worship time, as I said as I began this talk, Lord, we stand in the, in the light of, of your extraordinary love and gift of us, of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, for your generosity, your sacrifice, 
And we want to model, Lord God, what you are to the world. If, if we don't, who will? We have to model, Lord God, the generosity that we found in you to others so that they might see the truth. And so, Lord God, ask, we ask your forgiveness. We ask your forgiveness, Lord God, if we've shortchanged you, if we've been mean-spirited, if we've thought the money was mine, if we've found excuses not to give, not to be generous. We thank you, Lord God, because all things come from you and of your own do we give you. And now, Lord God, in the light of your great glory and your great worship, your great honor, your great sacrifice, we surrender to you again. We give ourselves to you. Lord God, we worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Worship.